Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Author to Author podcast. I am your host, Pamela R. Haynes. I interview self-published authors from around the world. This podcast is sponsored by Dolgetty Herbal Teas. Use the discount code A2AS5 for 10% off your next Dalgetty tea order. In this week's episode, I interviewed Jade LB, author of Keisha the Sket. She was only 13 years old when she first published her MSN blog, but Jade inspired a generation of women to pick up a pen and start writing, including me. Let's jump into her interview now. See you on the other side. Hello there, Jade. Thank you for joining me on the Author to Author podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, episode one. So I'm excited about that, kicking off in the right direction. Thank you for gifting us one copy of your book. I was given a copy of the hardback cover at your book launch that a mutual friend of ours um, attended. I mean, I devoured it. I got it also on Audible, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But I have to say, Keisha, when I saw the paperback version of your book, there was a bit of book envy going on here. The cover is absolutely lush, very different (laughs) from the hardback cover. So somebody, whoever wins this book, are going to have to prize it from my hands because I just think it's absolutely stunning. Why is the paperback different from the hardcover? You know, honestly, the cover design and things like that there really isn't much control that you have over those things you've just got to really hope and pray that you've got someone who has a vision that aligns with yours I was told that when it came to the cover designs I was really lucky because they went back and forth with me and gave me some options that usually that doesn't happen the person in-house who designed the cover just knew what to do you know that's absolutely fantastic who is that image of on the front you just that is partial mm -hmm, yeah just a part part of someone's face that's actually a stock image because um when I signed my book deal it was during the pandemic so unfortunately they couldn't do anything they couldn't get you know like a model that we'd all chosen or anything they they literally had to get a stock image and um they actually <laughs> superimposed uh, lip gloss and I think a hoop earring. Is it? Is there a hoop earring? Yeah, they superimposed that onto her. Um, but yeah, it's just a stock image. They did very, very well. This mm. She captures Keisha as far as I'm concerned. So where in the world are you now? And in terms of your heritage, how do you identify yourself? So I'm in London, where I was born and raised and where I continue to live and work. And it's so funny that you ask me about how I identify. I think that that is such an ongoing conversation that I have with myself. I do definitely identify as Black British for a couple of different reasons. My parents have quite, well, not my dad, but my mum has quite mixed heritage. 
and um, I didn't really have a relationship with my dad. So to claim his Jamaicanness, which I think quite a few people kind of claim where their father's from. So I felt quite uh, isolated from being able to do that. But yeah, so I think I find my home in my Black Britishness, which feels like a melting pot of, you know, different cultures and stuff and encapsulates, I guess, the mixedness of, of my heritage. Okay, thank you for that, because it's good for the listener, really, to have an idea of where you're from and what shapes you. And certainly your upbringing and your heritage contributes to your writing journey as well. So Mm. tell us what the writing journey has been like in terms of your book, Keisha the Sket where the title has come from. I'm excited because I know the answers before I even met you. You're one of the people that helped shape my own writing journey as well. And as I, again, it's an honor and I've got goosebumps thinking about it. Keisha the Sket is a legend, a cult. You had a cult following. But tell us what the beginning of that journey was like. Um, it was definitely an unconscious journey from the beginning. So it's a it's a journey that spans nearly two decades now, about 18 years as of now. And yeah, as I said, very unconscious journey for the first probably 15 years, really. So I was 13 when I started writing Keisha the Sket on my desktop computer in my bedroom, of of course, you know, my mum's home. And the reason why I was even writing the story was because we just had no internet. We just could not afford internet. And I'd got this computer for my 13th birthday And my mum and my granny had put money together in order to buy it. And just for context, I was the only person that I knew that didn't have a computer or access to the internet at home at that time. So, of course, it was a big deal for me. And I just had to find an excuse to be using this computer, even though, as I said, I had no internet. It was writing this story that gave me a reason to turn on the computer every day. So I just started writing and writing. And after a few months, we finally got AOL broadband in the home. And by that point, I had, you know, a good few chapters, maybe five or six chapters written. And so when I caught up with my friends who had like MSN Messenger, which was an instant messaging service for us to chat, similar to, I guess, WhatsApp now. And um, what else did we? uh, Pixo was the other thing everybody had, which I think I would liken it to something a cross between a Squarespace site and a Tumblr site. And I got my Pixo and I just decided to put a chapter of the story up. And I, you know, just kind of ritualistically put up a chapter every few weeks. You know, this is a this is before algorithms and, you know, uh, those sort of metrics and even reading comments and stuff, even though there was space for comments on the Pixo site, it just wasn't a time where we really... I guess, understood how connected we were via the internet. So other people's opinions and all of those things that really shape us now in our, you know, in our lives online just wasn't the case then. So I was writing this story and uploading it because I just wanted to. And I remember very vaguely just, you know, venturing to look at some of the comments Um, on the different pages on my Pixo site and seeing, you know, people writing comments saying how engrossed in the story they were and how angry or disappointed they were that I hadn't uploaded a chapter in the two week, you know, timeframe that I had said and stuff. So 
eventually it did begin to feel a bit like, you know, a homework, like something on my to-do list that I needed to do. That is the beginning of the journey. And I just got tired of it. There definitely is something to be said for that, you know, the gratification of your MSN pinging off all the time with all your friends chatting to you, just dulling my, you know, the other subtle ways that I got enjoyment. So I'm sure reading books as well as writing this story sort of fell by the wayside. There was more exciting things going on online for me. Yeah, I just left the the story on a cliffhanger. So with um, Malachi, the main antagonist, Ricardo, the hero, and Keisha, the main protagonist, um, all of them, their fates sort of left unresolved and got on with my life, really got on with my life, wanting to completely forget about this story and yeah just being sort of prodded by it for nearly a decade until I finally was like right let me let me come back to my what is ulti- what was ultimately my intellectual property let me come back to it and yeah see see what I can do. Were you aware of how popular it had become because um, chapters were also being released on Facebook each week as well and I certainly recall a friend of mine saying, look, you know, have you heard about Keisha, Keisha the Skets? You know, I'm going to direct you to this page to have a look at it. But were you aware of how popular it had become? No, I wasn't. So I think I first got an inkling when I was in my first year of university. So I'd moved away from London and was away from all of my friends. I actually went to the University of Essex completely alone didn't know anyone else that was that would be going there and um I got a message from a friend one one fateful day and this is coinciding with with the advent of Twitter which I would I would describe as probably the first space for sort of cultural commentary and conversations that a particular you know my generation were you know were indulging in and having and I think, you know, it was actually cross-generational too. So there were people slightly older and slightly younger also just having general conversation and making comments on a quite a general culture or what was growing to be a quite a general culture. And these conversations would happen late at night and, lo- you know, thousands of people were, you know, joining in in the conversations. And she sent me a message and was like, wow, they're talking about Keisha the Skit on Twitter. And I don't think a year went by from that point. So that was about 2011. A year didn't go by where I didn't get a message from a friend saying they're talking about Keisha Lisket, they're talking about Keisha Lisket, they're talking about Keisha Lisket online um, on Twitter. And yeah, so I think that was when I first got a picture of how sort of popular, yeah, how popular this thing was. And how many people outside of, you know, just my friends from school, my friends from church, my friends on MSN, you know, it went far beyond that. That's when I first realised. So what happened in the 10 year gap between you first writing um, Keisha the Skit and publishing a book? I actually talked about this recently. Um, so I did a keynote lecture at um, London Met. And I talked about decolonization and Keisha the Skep being a product of decolonial work, ultimately, not just my own, but also decolonial work within the literary space. And in talking about my journey, 
I just think I came to realize that in that decade period, I just wanted to disassociate from from Keisha the Scare, yes. But I also was just find, trying to find a lifeline in that period of time to make sure that the, the deprivation that I experienced as a child and an early adolescent, that I would kind of protect myself from experiencing that, um, you know, as an adult from about, yeah, I would say about 16, when I was coming towards the end of my GCSEs and the exam period, I just got so serious about my education. And I was always an above average student, but it, there was just a new sort of fire because it just felt like the only way that I would be able to avoid that worry, that anxiety, you know, the circumstances of deprivation. So I would say in that 10 year period, I took my education really, really seriously. So that, yeah, six years of education. And then I came back from uni and I was working. And I guess, I mean, it's quite normal, but I don't, I think graduates, it's oftentimes, it's a real anticlimax after you graduate from your undergraduate degree, unless you do a vocational subject, perhaps that lead you straight into a career like medicine or social work or something like that. I think when you do, yeah, the, like the English or the history, or in my case, the politics or psychology, it's a real anticlimax when you get back and you, yeah, kind of presented with a really small, really narrow options in terms of what you can go on and do because you're experienceless. Even though you've got this degree, you're quite, you're oftentimes experienceless. So I was working in education for a bit, contemplating if I would go on and do a teaching qualification. And then I got the opportunity to do my master's in the subject that I wanted to do it in, which was, again, politics, but developmental politics specifically. So I did that. And it was when I was getting to the end of my master's degree that I was sort of like, I guess life and the world is just not what what I thought and what is cracked up to be. And I was mixing with people within the developmental sort of space and seeing their values and their politics just didn't align with mine and felt quite disillusioned probably because I always had this dream of, you know, working, yeah, working for the UN <laughs> um, and yeah, like working on development policy. But yeah, that just didn't seem like it was really working out. and. So I received a call from a British poet and he was just, he offered to either buy the rights to Keisha this get from me or to work in partnership with me. And I think my disillusionment at that time just made me, and the fact that I didn't really know how to have that conversation about like buying rights, I chose to work with him. And yeah, we, we brainstormed for nearly a year on what we could do with Keisha this get and then I just happened to end up at Penguin's headquarters in the murky books offices and yeah conversation about a book deal was happening. Okay you said a lot there but I want to go back a bit um, this whole thing about the need to distance yourself from Keisha the get and I do feel that not many people know your identity for example, obviously, I know you as Jade LB. At the point when I met you, you had just started your master's. 
that was at the radio station, East London Radio, on, um, was it Melina's Book Club? And you were one of the panel members that was on the radio with me um, discussing my book. You never disclosed that um, you were the author of any book, much less Keecher the Sket. You know, I received feedback from my friend on your um, book launch. I'm kicking myself. I wasn't able to attend that you appeared in a mask. And I've got I've got a Keisha the Sket mask here. What is it that uh, about you that feels the need to still protect your um, identity? As of I mean, as of now, my identity is out there. I guess it's yeah, it is out there. I guess the way in which it came out was still in some ways a little bit covert or conspicuous. But um, yeah, the un the quote unquote sort of unveiling was in Stormzy's musical comeback video last year September, um, where I was walking alongside Mallory Blackman. I had decided on the anonymity from the point at which I decided to sign the book deal. In fact, before that, when I started to re-engage with my IP, I had decided that I wanted to remain anonymous. And it was for a variety of different reasons. So if I'm to be like really, really honest, there was definitely a, a big element of like sort of shame. I was still working my way into understanding or acknowledging that this story had like value it had you know a cultural generational value it had literary value I could not see it for myself at all um hence why I had hidden away from it for so long and I think that there was elements of it i.e sort of the the content like you know the the sexual content inside of it the language that it was written in yeah those things made me feel a sense of shame and I guess in all of that time, I had grown into someone very different, you know. I wasn't a slang-talking, text-writing <laughs> young person that was really sort of, that had a lot of inquisition when it came to things like sex. By the point at which I was leaving university, for example, and or in university and people were talking about Keisha Lisket, I was very different. I just got more and more different as I matured and it just felt like, you know, everyone, I guess, is a cringe cringy teenager doing embarrassing things that they never have to think about or remember again but I was being presented with an element of myself that I did find a bit cringy and embarrassing and I just wanted to disassociate from that also there was definitely a part of me that just I guess wanted to protect themselves from the salaciousness of how Keisha's life was sometimes interpreted so the politics around her desirability and her sexual prowess, um, her sex and gender politics, that stuff for some people was, you know, just simply point blank an indicator of promiscuity and it's and it was wrong. And I guess I had my own, in some ways I had my own growing and reckoning to do when it came to my own sex and gender politics, which I think I have done and hence why I think we're here now. But for a long time, I had a lot of work to do on that sort of stuff. But yeah, just my logical mind, I wanted to just protect myself from salaciousness. I also didn't want to get be ever be in a position where I felt on the back foot and having and like I had to defend myself and talk about my like the realities of my actual sex life and how much sex I wasn't having in my teenage years and things like that. Um, I never, yeah, never wanted to be in that position. So I think the easiest thing felt like 
being anonymous. Also, just an, another practical reason was because when it came to marketing and PR, and this is kind of a retrospective thought, but the marketing and PR campaign was so exhausting. It was my publicist said that she has never it had never been a dynamic in the way that it was when it came to Keisha Liskett in all of the books that she'd worked on in her, I think, seven years in as a publicist. She was always having to email and chase and ask, you know, do you want to do an interview um, for this book that's coming out? Would you like a copy? Da, 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 da. She was like, everyone was biting her hand off. She was getting emails. Can we please interview her? Da, 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 da. So as you can imagine, it was super busy. I was working two jobs very tired always very very tired definitely looked it and I'm sure that I would not have been happy with you know photos and and things like that when I was in such a sort of tired state all of the time so a silver lining that decision there was a real silver lining making that decision I mean, I like it because I've met you. Um, so, um, you know, I feel to have that little cloak of mystery and people not quite sure who she was. A couple of agents did tell our friend, yeah, we're here for the book launch, but, you know, um, and we've read all about her, but we don't know who she is and who she looks like. So to come on stage then with um, a, a mask on as well, just adds to that mystery as well. So I, I, I you know, I get it because um, there are some people who may ask if you are Keisha the Skett, you know, the same way that I get asked if I am some of the characters who are in my book as well. And, you know, I've even had comments where people have said, it's really a shame, really bad what happened to Pam, isn't it? And, you know, and people said, well, what do you mean? What's what's happened to her? Oh, you know, the book. And, you know, again, you have to remind people that the book is fiction. You know, so I get all of that, uh, you know, in terms of what you're saying. You hinted a little bit about how a publishing deal came along, but would you like to say more about what that process was like? Yeah, I honestly just ended up in the Murky Books office one day in 2019 and... We talked about a book deal and nothing was, you know, signed, sealed and delivered until the summer of 2020, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, summer 2020. We talked about the prospects. Before I had gotten to the office, they had messaged Stormzy and said, you know, guess who we've got coming in to, to talk about a potential book deal. And he personally was exceptionally excited. So Murky Books and Murky was on board. As you can imagine, these are people with cultural capital, culturally legitimate, close to the culture. And most of them had personal experiences with reading Keisha Lisket, but they are working in partnership and collaboratively with a very white, middle, upper class, archaic industry. And so the length of time between having that conversation in late 2019 and getting a book deal on the table in the later 2020, there was a lot of preparing that had to be done before they went to what is called an acquisitions meeting. And in an acquisitions meeting, the publishing house all comes together to take a look at what an individual imprint is looking to acquire. 
So in this case, Murky Books wanted to acquire Keisha the Skit. So all of the imprints within, you know, Penguin would have to come around the table and take a look at this thing, be presented with the facts, the information. Why do you think that this thing will sell, whatever, what have you? And so they had to do some convincing. The first sort of obstacle and hurdle was, well, what's the skit? <laughs> and why should that be emblazoned on the front of a book? So oh, they had a lot to do. That was part of the journey. So I had that conversation in 2019, end of 2019 with Murky Books. And I had no representation. I had no agent or anything like that. And so I, I was kind of by myself, unprotected. And I had a little sort of situation where my intellectual property, this is nothing to do with Murky Books, by the way, just to put it out there, another organisation completely. But my intellectual property was going to be pinched, really. And I couldn't afford an IP lawyer at the time. And I was now in conversation with this organisation who were trying to use my intellectual property to create a product. So the best thing I could do was get agent representation at that time. They, of course, have some legal power in some ways. So I got an agent in early 2020. That was quite an easy process. I just um, sort of Googled who's Candice Carty Williams's agent, who's Bernadine Risto's agent, and got all these names come up and just sent emails out, got some back, uh, had some meetings. And Rachel, Rachel Mann at Joanne Wynn was definitely a, an amazing fit. I knew straight away and signed with them. Thank you for sharing that journey with us because lots of people only see what's what they can see above the water. You know, the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. They don't see what goes on underneath, you know. So even knowing about, you know, a, an acquisition process, I would never have known other imprints would have had input um, into that. So that's really good to know. The book is split into two halves the original Keisha the Sket that we remember, but you chose to do Keisha the Sket um, reimagined through more mature lens because it had been some time since you wrote the first part and against a, a different political backdrop. So what may have been acceptable 15 or 20 years ago, looking through a new lens is very different now. Why did you choose to do that? And how easy was it for you to write the second half? Um, that decision came really late in the day, you know, I'll be so honest with you. So yeah, from the beginning, that wasn't really necessarily what we were looking to do or planning to do, but decided to do it anyway, uh, kind of at the last hour. So I didn't have much time to really think and plan. I had to get right in. And I honestly had about 10 days to do it, but I wanted to do it because ultimately, because I wanted the book to be able to serve as many people as possible, as many readers as possible. Yeah, wanted it to be able to serve as many readers as possible. I guess that there was a part of me also that wanted to show my abilities to write as an adult. So yeah, there was a bit of trying to prove myself. 
um, in, in taking that decision. I guess you can tell because it's like chalk and cheese. The 13-year-old who wrote the original and now this grown woman who has had experiences um, at university, you're, you're well-traveled, you know, you have a worldview and you bring that to the second half of the book, which certainly made me have a shift and think again about what Keisha went through, you know, the, the Keisha that you wrote about when you were 13 years old. Um, so, I, you know, I do believe that that was fantastic. But tell us what kind of opportunities have come your way as a result of being a published author? Do you know what? I think that the most important opportunities that have come my way or the most important opportunity that has come my way has been the opportunity to see myself with new eyes. Yeah, I I think that there is a real hopelessness that you kind of can't get away from when you have had such deprivation and hope hopelessness and I say hopelessness because but there is a level of hopelessness that I definitely escaped because I still took a confident step in doing things such as going to university and things like that but there was still a just a I was yeah hopelessness in the sense that life felt scary and uncertain and living a life with you know purpose and making sure that I would be able to survive and that life wouldn't be completely mundane or only work centric that I couldn't see that for myself so this story in this book Keisha the Skit has definitely allowed me to see that I do have purpose it's given me a hell of a lot of hope and confidence in the fact that I am a writer that I'm able to write um, and that that has been something that I that has been put inside of me from before I was conscious of you know of that skill and um, before that skill was even anything sort of that was important um, it was something placed inside of me before I was even aware of other black people that wrote stories or well black British people that wrote stories black British people that wrote stories for major publishers that was not on my radar I didn't know that just yet so yeah I think that's the biggest opportunity that has come out of it but of course you know I did get the opportunity to connect with other agents and stuff so I have other representation outside of literature and you know there's been conversations and meetings about television and film adaptations of Keisha the Skit and I have executive produced a podcast for Amazon I did that last year so there have been some really exciting opportunities and ways to develop my creativity. Is the podcast out Jade and what is it called? Yeah, the podcast came out last year around Easter and um, it's called The Naughties. And it's sort of like, um, it's a journey through the Naughties. It interviews different people. So it's 10 episodes and different people from the Naughties and from the present era come on to talk about their work ultimately. So there are episodes with for example, uh, Lethal B, Chipmunk, Little Miss Jocelyn, um, lots, lots of people who were firsts in their field who paved the way for creativity as we know it and see it today. I had the idea a few years ago and it was actually for a docu-series 
but my one of my agents was like could you make it into audio maybe adapt adapt the idea into you know audio and so yeah created 10 episodes there's two hosts and there are guests every week there were guests every week for 10 weeks and they talked about their work um, in creative industries past and present so there was often one one guest who was a creative pioneer from the past and one guest who is a creative pioneer in the present loads of different people um for the fashion episode there was koji radical and tinchi strider lots of greats lots of great names is there a season two on the cards oh we'll see we'll see i don't know i'm not sure Okay, okay. Keep the cards um, close to your chest. I, mean, I don't blame you. In terms of your writing, is there a book two in you? I So I did take a career break from November last year with the intention of spending the time to write. Have I done much writing in that time? <laughs> Definitely not as much as I would have hoped. Um, but I, I have gone on a writer's retreat and I've been doing a short course at City University, which I absolutely love. So I've learned a hell of a lot. I do have a, a sizable bit of manuscript, uh, maybe about a sixth, <laughs> a sixth of a, of of a second book. So yeah, the intention is to really get my head down and and start writing and to have a first draft together soon. Will you still be represented by Murky Books, or do you have to start the process all over again? Um, so how I understand it, I think that there is always the hope that you continue your relationship with your editor. But in terms of that freedom to go wherever, yeah, I, I do have the freedom. I didn't lock myself into a book deal. So there were two there were two book deals being offered. So the uh, publishers that wanted to take Keisha Lisket, they were offering me two book deals. But I said, no, I just want the one for Keisha Lisket and that's it. And then see what I'm doing after that. So I'm not locked into anything. But yeah, the hope is that you definitely just continue your relationship with your publisher and your editor. And will that be fiction again? Or did you want to try your hand at writing something else? Um, It is fiction. I would absolutely love to write you know um non-fiction um I do love essays I think that there are important people saying important things so I'd love to do something like that in the future but no this that I'm working on currently is fiction it's excellent because I love fiction so I'm excited to know that that's where you're concentrating your efforts as well any other plans for the future you can share with us I just would like to travel yeah, continue to travel and um, work-wise, I would like to just continue to carve out a space within creativity in general. So writing, definitely, but yeah, making things, creating things. I hope that I make the connections and build the relationships that I need to continue to see the possibilities, basically, and that there are no, no limits to what can be created. That is all really and truly would absolutely love to do some work with musicians, some, yeah, like songwriting and stuff like that, and some television and film writing. I would love to do that. Um, I would love to build a life for myself on creativity, a, a, a life that feels stable and a life that just feels really 
financially stable. That's wonderful, Jade. Any advice you can give to aspiring authors, emerging writers? What would be your number one tip? Just get into a methodical practice of writing. Just get it out, get it down on paper and get into a methodical discipline practice of writing. I know that it's, it's, it's hard, it's so difficult, it's difficult to get started, it's difficult to keep going, it's difficult to write the mundane bits, the like, you know, they went to the supermarket, they, you know, had a coffee, like it's, it, it is really, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone is credited enough for how difficult it is to weave a tale, to tell a story, but just keep at it, keep going, try and build the discipline to keep going. Nothing is ever wasted as well. I I heard that I heard that in relation to um, you know, that phenomenon of <laughs> going back over your work and just being like, oh, I just want to scrap like a whole chunk of this or whatever. But also in relation to Keisha the Sket, like it as a phenomenon. You know, I wrote it all of those years ago. I obviously spent my time writing it. And as much as I, you know, was willing it away, it wasn't wasted. Nothing is wasted. You might find that you write a story and you end up, it ends up being adapted into an audio story or a TV series or something. You know, you might find that you meet someone and they're just like, yeah, we could adapt this into a TV series. Um, and that's where you land so just keep going just just keep going thank you for that Jade because the possibilities then become endless don't they in terms of where your book can go yeah I just found out that um, Dorothy Coonsom and there's another author called Sherry Jones who wrote How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House their books have been translated into several languages, which is just mm. you, know, you know mind blowing in terms of how far reach your book can have. So thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that with us, Jade. It has been an experience. I've even I've learned something new about you as well, and I feel like I've been on a journey with you throughout this interview. So thank you so much for your time in terms of um, joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me and thank you to your listeners as well for listening. I want to wish you all the very best and I look forward to your second book. Thank you so much. I hope you can tell how excited I was to interview Jade. She is just as lovely as when I first met her. It is competition time now. What is the name of Jade's podcast? DM me on either Facebook or Instagram with the correct answer by Friday the 17th of March 2023 at 5pm GMT for your chance to win a copy of Jade's book, Keisha the Sket. Have a safe week ahead now and I look forward to your company next week. Bye for now.